Today's scripture reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clinging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions, and if I give over my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. For now we see only a reflection, as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's good to be back after a couple weeks off from preaching here to begin our new series uh, for 2021. We're going to spend six weeks in the passage that we just heard read, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. In this new sermon series to begin the year, I want to start up front with my goal for this series. My goal is this, that you would resolve along with me to make love your first pursuit and your first priority uh, for this new year. We are 10 days into 2021. And maybe that is a better time to make a New Year's resolution. Maybe you started the year, maybe not, but a number of you maybe said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to have these resolutions. Here are the changes I'm going to make. And 10 years in, or 10, 10 years in, it feels like 10 years, 10 days in, um, we may have already broken a lot of those resolutions or maybe already lost steam on those. So maybe about 10 days in, it's a good uh, time for us to reevaluate and say, let's, let's make a resolution uh, that will really stick. And I want to encourage you, this is my goal for this series, to resolve along with me to make love your first pursuit and priority in 2021. Now, you may say, sure, you know, why not? That's a very uncontroversial New Year's resolution. Who wouldn't want to make that kind of resolution and who wouldn't agree with it, right? Um, no matter what you think. Christian or not Christian, those on the left, those on the right, everyone would say, love, sure, let's make that one of our resolutions. And to this, I would say, not so fast. <laughs> Before you resolve to love, let this passage, which is probably the place in the Bible that describes love more thoroughly than any other place 
in the Bible in, in one uh, concise section. Let this passage define and describe what love is. Love is probably the most agreed upon idea, but the most poorly defined idea in our current culture. Now, this chapter is one of the most well-known in the Bible. Many, I would agree with them, would say this is one of the most beautiful, maybe the most beautiful, unmatched, thorough description of love, not only in the Bible, but in the whole world. And I would agree with that, especially after this week and spending time meditating on it and reading it. Officially, scholars say this is probably an ecomium. Yeah, that's its uh, kind of literary genre. An ecomium was a Greek uh, tribute, a Greek song, like a tribute. If you were going to make a tribute to somebody, a hero or something like that, you would write an ecomium for them. This is like an ecomium to love, an ode to love. In one of the books I'm reading as I'm studying this passage, the author shared about someone he knew who read and prayed this chapter on his knees for a whole year, every day. And he says this man was never again the same. This, this is the kind of passage in Scripture that if we let it soak in, let it sink in, get into our lives, and it takes root in us by the Holy Spirit, we will never be the same. In the fall, we spent a lot of time zooming out as a church from all the difficulties, the tensions, uh, the disagreements and hardship that we were experiencing and have experienced in such a hard year. We looked at the book of Daniel and saw as we zoom out, uh, Daniel encouraged us to do so and see that God is sovereign. He is in control, even when it doesn't seem like it to us, even in times of exile, he is at work and he can give us the strength to be faithful when we remember the big picture. And we need that. We still need that. But to begin 2021, my sense is that we also need something else. And we're going to do that in this series. We're going to zoom in. We're going to zoom into the world of your relationships, the people who are closest to you, the people God has placed in your life, the people maybe for whom it's hardest for you to love. We have been staying at home in close quarters with one another, those whom we're with. And sometimes, after 10, 11 months, it gets hard to maintain love, doesn't it? Conflicts arise, tensions and irritability, uh, you, you know, they bubble forth, maybe more than ever before. So we're going to spend six weeks in 1 Corinthians 13, zooming in, soaking in on what this passage is all about, which is the love we have been given in Jesus. We'll talk about that. And the love we are called to give to others through the power of Jesus. That's what this passage is all about. Let's start to unpack it, okay? First, 2020, that was a tough year. And now it's 2021 and everything's better, right? <laughs> well, maybe we had hoped that it was all going to be fixed with a fresh start, but that was, if we believe that, was pretty well crushed by events this past week in our nation. It was a tough week. We've got the ongoing COVID crisis, wondering if the vaccine will roll out and really make a difference and end this. And, and maybe you're feeling, and I've felt it, that it feels like sometimes the world is 
is falling apart all around us. Like we're just barely hanging on by a thread. And the question that comes forward for me is, what, what do we go from here? With all the issues, with all the divisions and the needs, what should I do? What's my part? Where should I put the focus of my mind, the energy of my heart and my life? What is the part of a Christian and what is the role of the church? What's the role of our church? We should be asking these questions. These are good and important questions to ask at the start of the year. But there are so many things happening. One after the other, crisis after crisis, there are so many voices coming at us, so much information. These aren't small things. These are history-shaping events that we're living in. And as we take in all that's coming at us through the news and social media and the Internet, all that maybe Christian leaders are saying, we can be, with all that, with all that's happening and all that's coming at us, overwhelmed by it all, confused by it all, feel frozen or maybe feel like we've just, we've gone off track and we don't know how to get back on track. What are we to do? Well, I want to share an image with you that describes how I have felt at the beginning of this year and maybe captures this sense that many of you are feeling. So here it is. We put it up on the screen. This is an image of something really close by to all of us here in Orange County. It's a Santiago Oaks uh, Park. There's hiking and biking trails all in Santiago Oaks. And I've started to get back into mountain biking for exercise and fun these past few months. And it'd been years since I'd been on this trail, but I said, I'm going to hit it. I'm going to go and, and I'm just going to figure out. I've been there once before. I'll figure my way in and out. But as you can see from that picture, there are a lot of roads and twists and turns going on. If you see like where that number six is, I got up there and I had no idea how to get down and get back to where I needed to be. And so I actually texted some, uh, some of you in the church, how do I get down? And some people, you know, responded and said, you know, don't do this, do this. And I ended up taking one of the trails and going off and getting even more lost, uh, not even following the advice that I was giving. And so I was, I had my phone, I had this map up on my phone, but it was so confusing to me. I had no idea which way to go. You know, I share that image because I feel like that image captures a lot of what we're feeling with all that's happened, all that's uncertain, all the division. People saying, go this way. No, it's this way. No, it's about that. No, we should do this. All the tension, all the issues in our personal lives and at a larger level in our national and cultural lives, it can feel like we are in a maze of roads and paths. Which way is right? Which way is best? Which way does God want me to go? And it can be dizzy at times. I believe 2020 brought the church, and I think each person, each Christian, to a kind of crossroads where we have all been feeling and forced to ask the question, which way? We're looking for a way forward. We're looking for a way, a road, a path to walk on, and this chapter gives us that way. Uh, Lori didn't read it in the scripture reading because I, I, I neglected to include this verse uh, when we asked her to read this passage. But this, this chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, should really begin one verse earlier with chapter 12, verse 31, where Paul says, I want to show you a better way. 
or a more excellent or most excellent way. The word way there, a common word in the New Testament, same word used for road or path. Paul says, let me show you the path. And he wrote this chapter, uh, this 1 Corinthians 13, one of the most beautiful and poetic and important chapters he wrote to address a church that had lost its way, the church at Corinth. They had gotten lost and then gotten caught up in all kinds of division and confusion. And so Paul wrote this. Maybe the, the, the climactic part of his letter was written directly for a divided and confused church. Now here's where we can get a little bit of context. It helps fill out the story about the church at Corinth behind this incredible chapter. Paul had received a report about this church, a church he started, a church he cared about. He had a high regard for them. Things were getting out of hand, and he was very concerned for them. Let me read from chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. He says, at the very beginning of the letter, Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, and that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction, for it has been reported to me about you, my brothers and sisters, by members of Chloe's people, that there is rivalry among you. That's how the letter begins. Paul has written this letter because of these divisions. What were some of the things that were happening, just to get a flavor and a feel for it? Well, some were saying, you know, we're followers of Paul. We like him. Some were saying, no, no, I'm not into Paul. I'm into Apollos. Or Peter and other people were saying, yeah, that's nice, but beat this. I'm a follower of Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> some were saying, it's about miracles. We need more miracles. Others were saying, no, it's not about that. It's about theology. Some were saying it's about tongues. Some were saying, no, we need more prophecy. Some people were saying, hey, it's okay to eat uh, food that's been sacrificed to pagan idols. And others said no real Christian can ever eat food sacrificed to pagan idols. Some were saying marriage is holy and good. Some were saying Christians shouldn't get married. They should always stay single. Some were saying the gospel frees us to do whatever we want to do as long as we're not hurting anyone. Others are saying, no, the gospel is about following a strict moral code. Some were saying, when we come together for communion, you know, let's have a party over here. Let's have a party over there. Some were getting drunk at communion, and they were being separated by class, celebrating communion in different places. That's just a snapshot of what was going on. It was quite a mess, and it appears that people realized it was a mess. And as we come to 1 Corinthians 12, <clears throat> the chapter preceding this one, people, I think, were saying, we, we read that chapter, they were saying, you know, we're a mess, but what we need is more knowledge. We need more miracles. We need more power. We need more worship. All these gifts. They said, we need these gifts. We need those gifts. But in chapter 12, verse 31, Paul says, those are good gifts, but I am going to show you a better way a more excellent way, the most excellent way. This phrase is translated in many different uh, ways. It could be translated a way beyond comparison. The best way of all, the one I like the best, is the NIV's translation, which says the most excellent way. It's beyond superlative. It is the best of all. Paul is saying you've lost sight of what can guide you and direct you through your differences, how to use the good gifts that God has given you. 
to use the perspective that God has given you. It is good to seek all the things that you guys are talking about. It's good to seek knowledge. It's good to have powerful worship experiences. It's good to be very sacrificial. But, he says, when good things are pursued as the best thing, for the wrong reason, from the wrong motives, he says this, you're not left with less of a good thing. He says you're left with nothing. That's what he says. He says, if I have all these gifts, but without love, I'm left with nothing. Let me just pause here for application. I feel the need after such a difficult, confusing, dark year to give myself, I need this, and hopefully to give you, all of you listening, some clarity. What are we to do? What are you to do? If you're looking for a way out of all the confusion and the division that applies no matter what happens in our nation, to our nation, whoever is in charge, whoever's in leadership, away for the good times, away for the hard times, a way to approach difficult questions, controversial issues, a way to handle difficult relationships, a way to handle conflict. If you're looking for a way, Paul says, there is a way. It's love. Now, before we talk about what this way of love is, and we're going to do so over the next uh, five weeks, Paul says, first we have to talk about what love is, and we need to know what is the wrong way. That's how Paul does it here. Before describing love as the most excellent way in verses 4 through 8, Paul makes it very clear what love is not in verses 1 through 3. And here's how I would summarize it. He says, anything, no matter how good, anything minus love is the wrong way anything, no matter how impressive and spiritual it looks. If it is without love, it is the wrong way. So Paul is saying to pursue anything in life, to take any road in life, any direction, any decision in action without love. It's the wrong way. It's not just a less preferable way. It's not just an inferior way. Paul says here it is a nothing way. It's like a noisy and clanging instrument or a loud banging cymbal, he says. Now, many of us would pay to go see an orchestra play, a great symphony play, but no one has ever paid any money to go to a cymbal concert or a gong concert where somebody's just banging on a gong over and over again or somebody's just pounding a cymbal. It has its place in the orchestra, but by itself, it's a terrible noise. Paul uses that image to say, that's what it's like to even have good things minus love. It's not just that it accomplishes less. It's not even just that it accomplishes nothing. Paul says here that if I do all these things without love, I am nothing. That it cancels. Somehow it cancels everything good that I hope to do out. Now, this passage is often read uh, at weddings, and it's very poetically read. It's often very beautifully read. I've uh, presided over many weddings where this passage has been uh, read by someone, and it's great. Everyone feels warm and fuzzy and good. 
But I hope you see by now that this passage wasn't written for weddings. It's, it's good for it to be read there. But it was written not for that, but for the church. Not as an inspirational poem, but as a sharp rebuke to this church. As one commentator said, what, here's what's going on. Love is said to be not the very things that Paul has already said the Corinthians are. He's already called them jealous, self-promoting, puffed up, seekers of their own advantage, easily provoked, and reckoners or recorders of wrongdoing throughout the letter. So this beautiful poem is a sharp rebuke. Paul says, you're going the wrong way. You're doing damage. The good you could be doing is being undone because it's not being done in love. Now, there's a little side note here that I think is important uh, for us just to recognize and how Paul delivers this rebuke. Notice he does it in the first person, singular, not in the second person. I think that's significant where he says here, if I, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, if I deliver my body over, if I have the gifts of prophecy, if I have faith to move mountains. When we have to say something hard, deliver a sharp rebuke to a contentious and divided situation. It's always a good rule to think about how that message will be received. And Paul here says, let me put myself out here in the front. It's saying, if I, very sensitive, very pastoral, very wise. And in fact, Paul had all these gifts. And he's sharing from his own personal experience what really matters, what really counts, what is really the way. But for the Corinthians, what we need to see is that this uh, would have been a very shocking message for them to hear. The things Paul laid out, speaking gifts, tongues, prophecy, knowledge, miracles, great sacrifices, were to them obviously the most impressive and powerful ways to make a difference, to be spiritual, to do great things. Well, let's look at these one at a time. Uh, what do they mean? Speaking, he says, in the tongues of men, that with great eloquence, very much valued in Corinth. People with that gift were elevated very highly. But then he says, even in the mysterious language of heaven, if we could speak in the tongues of angels and have incredible worship experiences. And then he says, if I had gifts of prophecy and knowledge, if I knew everything, all the secrets of God, then he says, if I had faith to move mountains, if I had faith to do great miracles, and if then here in verse 3, he says, if I did acts of the greatest sacrifice, if I gave up all my possessions to give it away to the poor, and then in this last section in verse 3, he says, if I gave, give myself my body over, some translations say, give my body over to be burned. It's a little bit of a, a disagreement on how to best translate it, but the point is clear that Paul is saying, if I just give my entire self over and do any of these things, speaking, knowledge, sacrifice, miracles, without love, even to the most hypothetical, hyperbolic level, to the greatest that these great gifts could be used and utilized and done, Paul says, without love, it's nothing. In fact, none of it even means that you are a Christian. Shocking to the Corinthians. But Jesus himself spoke in very similar terms. In Matthew 7, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. 
On that day, many people will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Prophecy. Didn't we drive out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who work lawlessness. Prophecy. Miracles. And Jesus says, those are not indicators and signs that you know me. What is? Paul says it's love. None of these things the Corinthians thought were the most important, uh, the most effective, the most needed to fix their situation in and of themselves were evidence of true faith. Paul, Paul had spent a lot of time with this church, and so they had probably heard Paul talk a lot about love. But it looks like they really hadn't heard him properly. They were probably thinking, love, yeah, that's good and all, but if we really need to make a difference, if we really want to solve our problems, if we really want to get ourselves out of this mess that we are in, then we need more fill-in-the-blank. And they all filled it in differently. We need more powerful worship. We need more good theology. We need more miracles. We need more sacrificial acts. What Paul is doing here is telling them these are very Corinthian answers. But it's not the Christian answer. Powerful religious worship, knowledge, miracles. Everybody in Corinth would agree those were the most powerful ways to make a difference. But Paul says it's not the Christian way apart from love. Now let me ask you this. How would you fill in the blank? What we really need, if we want to make a difference, if we're going to solve our problems, if we're going to get ourselves out of the mess that we are in, maybe it's the mess that we see all around us in our culture. Maybe it's the difficulties in the mess that we feel like we're in in our close relationships. If we're going to get out of it, we need more fill in the blank. What is it for you? I think we need to be open to letting this passage now and over the next six weeks challenge us. Do we have in that fill in the blank answers that make sense to our culture? Corinth had their Corinthian answers. We, we might have our American answers. Some of them might be the same as what the Corinthians had. Power. We need more power. We need more influence. We need to gain and take back more power. We need to have more answers. We need to have you fill in the blank. Paul says there's only one Christian answer that should go at the front, and that is love. Everything else is the wrong way. First, first point was looking for a way. We, we, need, we need clarity. Uh, we need focus and all the division and confusion this passage gives it to us. Second, we need to know the wrong way. And let me just put up a sign to just drive this point home. You might see this sign as you're driving on the road. It's a very important sign. If you see that sign, what does it mean? You're going the wrong way, right? That is not a sign you want to ignore. What happens when you disobey that sign? Well, <laughs> it's not good. Destruction. crashing. 
That's what will happen if you keep driving past that sign. And friends, this passage, it may call us out to say, we're going the wrong way. The Corinthians were following the Corinthian way. We have to be willing to let this passage show us where we might be blowing past that sign. Now, moving to my third point. Um, in order to explain this third point and to kind of prepare us for, for this third point, I'm going to, in a moment, we're going to try to do this, first time we've done this, to prepare an audio clip. And kids, I want your help here. I can't see the uh, YouTube comment section, but have your parents type in the answer to this question. It's a mystery audio clip. I'm pretty sure a lot of you will get it, but I want you to tell me where the, these clips, it's actually a compilation of a few clips, where they come from. So let's see if we can play that clip right now. This is the way. 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 What's that from? I, th I think it I think it all it all worked well there. <laughs> well, only from probably the coolest show that's been out um, this past year, The Mandalorian, where repeatedly this group of people from this uh, this planet, Mandalore, say this phrase, this, this is the way. This is the way. And when they have hard decisions to make, when they need to remind themselves of why they're doing what they're doing, they say to themselves or to uh, to each other, this is the way. <laughs> it's a great phrase. For followers of Jesus, we have a way. And we should all know what we mean if we were to tell each other, this is the way. The way is love. For the Christian, love is the most excellent way. Always, in every situation, no matter what the circumstance, there is no exception. Love is the distinctive Christian ethic. It is the way we carry with us into every situation. And this is taught everywhere in the New Testament. I realize this might be a review for some of you, but you need to hear it again. Jesus taught this. He said the greatest of all commandments is that we love God and love our neighbors as ourselves. Everything hinges on this, Jesus said. Paul elsewhere in Galatians said, the only thing that counts is faith working through love. In Romans 13, which we read as a part of our liturgy, he said, Oh, nothing to anyone except to love. Love is the fulfillment of the law. The Apostle John pretty much taught this everywhere in 1 John. He said we love because he first loved us. The Apostle James said, Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law, James 2.8, prescribed in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well, meaning... No matter what else is going on, if you love others, that is a life well lived. What is love? We're going to spend the next five weeks really digging into Paul's definition. But as we look at that, we see love is different than an emotion. It's different than a feeling. It's different than warm, fuzzy, sentimental um, emotions towards another person. Love here is described as an attitude. I think we can also include along with affection. It's an attitude towards others that leads to action. Actions that regard 
the person and the welfare of the other person above the interest of myself. Right? It's an attitude, it's affection toward others that leads to action that regards the person and the welfare of that person above the interests of myself. is sacrificial regard for the good of another with no expectation of return. That is what love is. That's one of my best definitions, but it doesn't compare to how Paul describes love here. Love is the true and real test of our Christian maturity. This past year, I've been asking a lot of people, a lot of you, how, how are you doing spiritually? And almost always, uh, the first thing that people will discuss or, or uh, talk about will be their, their time reading the Bible and praying. Very important, very good things. We push CBR, I love it, and we need it. And maybe the next thing people will talk about is uh, how they might be serving uh, in the church or not. I want you to consider this maybe updated list for us using what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians as the measure of Christian maturity. Here's how I would update it. I can spend consistent time in the Word and in prayer, but if I do not have love, I am nothing. I can know all there is to know about the Bible, studying it every day, but if I do not have love, I am nothing. I can have the right take, the full answer from God on all the issues facing our culture and our country, but if I do not have love, I am nothing. I can give my money and my time to the church and to the needy, but if I do not have love, I am nothing. What is Paul saying? He's saying our main power for good in this life is not to know everything, not to understand everything, not to achieve and accomplish something great, to do miraculous things, even risk it all and give it all away. Paul says, as he moves into the end of this uh, section here in chapter 13, he says, that's like child's play, childish things. All the stuff that will pass away when we enter into the maturity of our life in eternity. It's like a, a, a parent letting a small child help with making dinner. He says love is the real power. Love is the real miracle, the eternal power, the supernatural force. There's a limit to human speech. The best sermon, the best preacher can only accomplish so much. There's a limit to human miracles. No matter what the miracle is, eventually the other person will we'll die and pass away. The miracle will end. There's a limit to giving all we have away. There will always be the poor. There will always be needs. But there is no limit to what love can do. There is no limit to how much we can grow in love. We will grow in it forever. And our main job now on this planet is to love, to learn what it is, to prioritize it, to practice it, to bring it into all we do, into all our relationships as spouses, husbands, and wives, as parents, as sons and daughters, as brothers and sisters, as grandparents in all of our relationships and in all of our roles, whether we are teachers, lawyers, entrepreneurs, healthcare workers, we're working in the business world, we're being students, whether we are wherever we live as citizens of that country, a member of our local communities and organizations, a neighbor to those on our streets, our co-workers, our participant in any activity, the main job we have in all of those things is to love. This is the way. But this chapter, though it can be very inspiring, is very, very, very humbling. 
and if we read it seriously, will become a rebuke to us. And it's very simple how this works. If you try to put your name into this chapter, you can't read it very long. <laughs> it just You can barely get through the first few words if you read it with honesty and integrity, right? Especially starting in verse 4, where Paul says, Love is patient, love is kind. Try to put your name there. Do it with me. Eric is patient. Eric is kind. Eric does not envy. Eric is not boastful. You can't get through that. It's too convicting because you know how far short you fall of these things. No human being's name can be read in the place of love. 2020 for me, uh, for most people I know, has shown us how far we have to go in the way of love. The most excellent way. All the time we stayed at home with others, all the ways we've tried to make sense uh, of the great division, of the tension all around us, the way we've dealt with the things going on inside of us, with conflict, with division, with confusion. It has humbled us. And what we need to hear, we'll close with this, is though all, although our name we can't read our name into 1 Corinthians 13. There is one name that fits. It's the name of Jesus. No one else fits. But when we put Jesus' name in there, we see this is a portrait of who Jesus is. Jesus is kind. Jesus is patient. Jesus is not boastful or arrogant. He doesn't keep records of wrong. His name is the only one that fits. And what's distinctive about the call to love in Christianity, what's, what's distinctive about it, is that little word there in, in the chapter. It's, it's uh, found in many places where the call to love is given to us as Christians. It's a little word, as. Here in this chapter, it's found towards the very end where he says, Now I know in part, but then... I will know fully, verse 12, as I am fully known. The person who is able to love like this, 1 Corinthians 13, is the person who knows they are loved like this by Jesus. Love is the distinguishing mark of a Christian, the most powerful force for us, the church, to be a community of healing, growth, and witness to the world. But we need to know this, that the only people who love like this are the people who know they are loved like this. Those who know that they are fully known, as it says here in this text. And if we are fully known, how far we fall short of 1 Corinthians 13, how we don't love like this. We realize we're not loved because we're lovable, but we are loved in all of our unloveliness. Jesus loved us. A Christian is someone who knows the greatest miracle, the most powerful truth we could ever know. The thing that has made the most lasting impact in our lives is that Jesus fully knows me, but he loves me like this. It's not natural to us. It is supernatural this kind of love. It is not possible in our own strength. All those other things, 
They are possible apart from the supernatural work and grace of the Holy Spirit. But love is not. And so, as we enter into this study for the year, I'm going to close by reading this. This is true of how Jesus loves you. Jesus is patient with you. Jesus is kind. Jesus is not envy. He's not boastful or arrogant. He is not rude. Jesus is not self-seeking. He is not irritable with you. Jesus does not keep a record of wrongs. Jesus finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Jesus bears all things with you. Jesus believes all things for your good. Jesus hopes all things. Jesus endures all things. Jesus' love will never end. Please pray with me. Father, as we start this new year, O God of faithful and patient love, I pray for my own heart, I pray for our church and all who are listening to this message, that as we hear and feel the great rebuke, that our name just doesn't fit in 1 Corinthians 13, that we aren't loving, and you know it, that you would also hit us with greater force the reality that in Jesus, though you know even more than we do our failures to love, you love us fully. Thank you, Jesus, that you gave yourself for us because you loved us, that you would stand in our place to bear the penalty, to bear the cost of all of our failures to love. And Jesus, this week, it's been a hard week to start the year. It has grieved us to see your name, the name of Jesus, displayed in a violent mob as if somehow that was your way. And we've been grieved this week and all throughout this year in many ways that we have and others have misrepresented your way. May we be crystal clear on what the way is, the way of your love for us in Christ. And may our lack of love also grieve us as we have seen the lack of love all around us. But in that grief, may it lead us to repentance, to the miracle that we are fully known by you and fully loved. Teach us how we are loved. Teach us how to love. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen.